chapter 30. We're doing a study on the tabernacle. And I'm resisting the temptation to do another two weeks on the brazen altar. There's so much material that is there. We're going to move on to the brazen laver. We can finish this sometime before 1986. So we're going to move on to the brazen laver this morning. Bill Coolidge has taught this series twice, and he's ready to teach it again uh, in the same church, uh, just out of the abundance of uh, understanding that can come from this uh, study. And so we're talking about the tabernacle and what is, uh, just by way of refreshing our minds, what's the principle of the tabernacle? Why did God bring to the children of Israel a pattern for the tabernacle? Make them religious, give them a ornament for the center of their city square. What, what was the purpose? <clears throat> Kathy? Okay, good. That he could dwell with them and that they could have access to him. And that uh, tabernacle was placed right in the center of the camp. And uh, we saw that, uh, that it was placed there. What are some of the reasons that this was uh, placed in the center of the, the of the nation? Okay, not only a center of life uh, for the individuals to see that this is God has placed us at the center, that God's intent is that I be reconciled to God, that uh, in my sin that I come back uh, to God and be, uh, and be brought back into relationship, but also that for this people and the people even in our generation, the very center focus of our lives is to see people reconciled to God. The center and the, the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ today is to see people reconciled to God. That's our central focus. That's what we're involved in, is seeing people reconciled to God. Right here we had the brazen uh, altar that we've been uh, talking about. And uh, just before we go on, what uh, are some of the principles in, in terms of God's dwelling with us that we saw in the brazen altar before we go on? Okay, it had to do with sin being judged. What's God's, uh, uh, what's God's feeling about sin? Sin is just, uh, uh, just frailty and just, uh, just a problem that some folks have. They're kind of weak. Uh, hiding? Okay. Not only just a hatred of, uh, uh, you know, it's like, well, I, you know, I, I hate cabbage. We're, we're talking about uh, uh, a hatred that uh, brings an, an angry response that uh, the uh, translation of Psalm 711 is uh, 
a anger so intense uh, that there is a foaming at the mouth. This is uh, God's response to sin. And so uh, we see this, uh, and this is demonstrated that before there can be relationship with God, before God can dwell in our lives and with us in our lives, we need to deal with our sin because God hates sin. God, that uh, uh, sin brings uh, the wrath and the anger of God. And the problem with churchianity today, the easy, believes, easy believism of our generation, is that uh, they've moved the brazen altar uh, back in the storage room somewhere. Brazen altar is gone. Here's the gate. Come on in. Wash at the laver. Enter in. But don't deal with sin. You don't have to repent. Just accept Christ. Just uh, affirm your need. But that uh, does tremendous disservice uh, to the character and to the revelation of God who is angry with sin, who hates sin, and there can be no relationship uh, unless we deal with that. Praise God. Okay, let's move on because we don't want to spend a great deal of time if we could spend another couple of weeks, we would see that this brazen altar was part of the entire life of the nation of Israel. Every feast, every experience, every Israelite, their experience of fellowship, their experience of, of as a people of God for their testimony in the earth, Everything was tied to the brazen altar. You and I need to remember, need to understand that everything that we're involved in goes back to the cross. Our fellowship is based on what happened at the cross. Our witness to the earth is based on what happened to the, at the cross. Our worship is based on what happened on the cross. Everything harkens back to the cross of Jesus Christ today, just as uh, in their generation, everything focused around the brazen altar. With no brazen altar, there would be no nation. It all took place there. Okay. Exodus chapter 30, 17 through 21, we're going to talk about uh, the brazen labor. And who will read that for us? Mike Solano? Okay, so we're talking about the brazen laver. And uh, this is in our diagram is right here. This is after the brazen altar, but before the tabernacle itself, before the tent of meeting, at this place right here is a laver that is made out of brass. Now, perhaps you began to pick up just as our brother read... There's something different about this in the sense that there are no dimensions given. There are no dimensions given. Everything else is so many cubits by so many cubits. It's uh, uh, intric intricately uh, described how we should make these things. But for the brazen labor, there are no uh, dimensions given at all. All we know is, is it is made out of what? Brass, good. Okay, brass, bronze, brass. And that is a picture of what did we learn from the brazen altar? Uh, 
picture of judgment. All right, so we're still dealing with this aspect of judgment. Did anybody bring their uh, that sheet with the pictures on it of all, what these things are? And uh, let me just see what they... Okay, I see. Thank you. Uh, uh, it's very difficult to, uh, because of the description that is given. It says here, uh, Thou shalt also make a labor of brass and his foot also of brass. That's all that is said. That's the entire description. And so in, in these uh, pictures that you have here, you've got this uh, thing kind of uh, like this and, uh, you know, with the designs on it. And if you do any research, there's all kinds of different things that are, that are done. But many people believe that the labor was kind of a cup and saucer design that you had a, uh, a receptacle here uh, for water and then under you had a uh, like a saucer that would uh, catch the water and from here you would have uh, spigots things that would uh, isn't working things that would come out here, that uh, the word foot uh, can mean base or basis, and uh, it all has a uh, somewhat of a picture of roundness that is there. And so if you'll notice, it doesn't say that they'll wash in the labor, but they will wash at the labor. And so it's understood that perhaps they would open these spigots, wash their hands and their feet to the water would, uh, the, the defiled water, the dirty water would go down into the saucer here and there could be clean water in here. If they're always washing their hands and feet in, in something that is stationary and something that, that there's no uh, running water, then obviously this becomes pretty dirty pretty fast. And so this, uh, Bible scholars tell us that this perhaps is the way that this was uh, done. Okay, so this uh, was for what? What is what is happening at this brazen labor? What's taking place, Kathy? Okay, so there is a picture. There is a uh, uh, picture of the, its shining, which uh, does a revealing. And once they see that, what are they supposed to do there? Okay, not just that, but there, the uh, also the dirt from the ground. There's no rugs uh, on the court floor. There's no rugs in the tabernacle proper. That it is, uh, and so they're also picking up uh, the dirt, and so it's a place of cleansing. Many people feel that. Uh, that it not only tremendously shiny on the inside, but you have a uh, shiny outside that it is... Uh, uh, there's a uh, reflection that uh, comes. And so you have at this laver, uh, because of the, uh, the shape of it, you have a magnification of uh, the brazen altar 
and you have a magnification, if that's a proper word, of the door to the tabernacle, which we'll see later as another picture of Jesus Christ, that this brazen laver, in addition to its uh, revealing the defilement of the priest, and in addition to its cleansing, was also a, to magnify the work of the labor and the revelation of the door, or in our terms, to magnify the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Amen. We need to look up some scriptures now. Ephesians 5.26, someone over here. If you could find that, Morgan Werta, uh, Bob Corsi, Psalms 119.9. Uh, Norm Brenier, John 17, 17, Brother Bronson, uh, John 15, 3, Brother Halverson, uh, 1 Peter 1, 22, uh, Rod, uh, Hebrews 10, 22, and uh, Jeff Day, uh, Psalms 17, 4. So we're talking initially about cleansing. Passage says that... Uh, that uh, in verse 18, Thou shalt make also a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. It says, When they uh, go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water, that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister to the burnt offering made by fire unto the Lord, so shall they wash their hands and their feet, that they die not, and it shall be a statute uh, unto them. So, this is a cleansing that uh, needs to uh, take place. It is obviously here for a cleansing. Not the cleansing of the blood of the altar, not the cleansing that has to do with the, that uh, defilement of committed sin, but this is a cleansing that we'll see as a picture of the Word of God. Okay, Ephesians 5.26. Okay, here's Jesus. Uh, here's Paul talking about marriage and its relationship uh, to the church and uh, talking about Jesus uh, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it by the washing of water, by the Word. A cleansing that comes from the Word of God. Uh, Psalm 119.9. Okay, here again, cleansing that comes by the Word of God. John 17.17. 17. sanctifying, uh, having to do with making holy, cleansing again. John 15, 3. Clean by the Word. 1 Peter 1, 22. Okay, purified by obeying the Word. Hebrews 10.22. Okay, 
Psalm 17, 4. Okay, from the words of thy lips. So, here we have... uh, We've come to the altar. And at the altar we've been reconciled to God. We've experienced justification by faith. And from that point, then we move to this thing called sanctification. Justification is that of making just, making right with God. This is what happened at the altar. That's what happened when you and I put our faith in the Son of God. We are made just, made righteous. This uh, root here, fication, is to make. And sancti means what? Who can tell us? Holy, all right. Holy, or perhaps even godly. So sanctification is a process of uh, you and I being made holy or being made godly. This is the uh, thing that we're talking about. Pastor Lister ministered uh, on this, I believe it was the uh, on Friday night of you, uh, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And he mentioned that that's not a fruit of the Spirit. That's something that you and I have a responsibility to be involved in ourselves uh, to bring this to pass. And so sanctification, this big $40 word, is simply uh, the process of us becoming holy, becoming godly of our uh, lives beginning to demonstrate uh, the uh, holiness uh, and the character of God. Now, we remember that there were no dimensions given to this brazen labor, no dimensions of how uh, wide this needed to be, of of how uh, tall it needed to be. It's uh, totally unlimited could make it as big as an Olympic swimming pool. You'd make it uh, uh, like a demitasse cup, whatever uh, necessary. But it tells us that our, what you and I can become in God, the experience that you and I can have in God, is unlimited. God has not put limitations on how far you and I can go with Jesus. Not saying, well, uh, uh, you got this much sanctified or you got this much uh, along uh, with the Lord and uh, we'll uh, cut you off here. We don't want you to uh, uh, get too spiritual or get too holy. Just, uh, uh, just stay down there where you are. But God ha- has demonstrated by the type of the brazen labor that the only limits uh, that we experience are the limits that we place upon ourselves. When we say, I'm going this far and no further... Or I've gone far enough, let the new converts do the rest. 
or I've gotten to this place and, and I pretty much know what's going on and I know they keep preaching about going for God and living for Jesus and living clean, but I, I don't really want to do that. I've experienced enough of God that I want. I'll just hang on to a little bit of my own old sin or my old habits or my foul attitudes and the limitations are placed on ourselves by ourselves. They're not placed on, ourse- on us by God. Unlimited what you and I, how far you and I can go with God. Praise God. Okay, so this, as we saw, this preceded the, uh, the tent itself. Inside the tent, just a little uh, uh, further uh, understanding, we would have the uh, table of showbread. We're going to have the, uh, the uh, lampstand. We're going to have the, the golden altar. We're gonna, this is going to relate to fellowship. This will relate to witness. And this will relate to worship. Fellowship, witness, and worship. And before all of those things, before those things can be experienced, we need to go by the brazen laver. We need to wash lest we die. We need to have an encounter with the Word of God. Now, does that mean that you and I have got to be totally sanctified and totally uh, mature and we need to know uh, our Bible from cover to cover before you and I can witness. We've got to be saved for 16 years, got to take New Testament theology, understand the ins and outs of the atonement. If it does not mean that, then why, what is the brazen labor? What is the Word of God doing preceding our experience of fellowship, witness, and worship? We don't have to be totally sanctified to experience worship, to experience fellowship. We don't have to have reached perfection. What is it doing there? Yeah. Yes, every time. Okay, and so all of these uh, all of these things that have been said are uh, are true and uh, are excellent understandings about what we're uh, talking about. And what we've been saying is that uh, not that you and I need to experience uh, the perfection uh, that would come by the brazen labor or from the Word of God, but the Word of God will be our will be our guide, will be the thing that we must pass through if you and I are going to experience these things. If you and I are going to be people of fellowship, then that needs to be fellowship according to the Word of God. If we are going to be people of witness, then that's going to have to be according to the Word of God. Our worship has to be in spirit and in truth. 
that our experience is not uh, our experience is not conditioned upon a sinless perfection or a level of maturity that we can somehow attain to, and then we'll have this. But our experience of these will be when we pass by the way of the Word of God. See, you and I can uh, need to know that there are some uh, conditions on fellowship that are there in the Word of God. Those conditions uh, often have to do with doctrine. Our generation says, doesn't matter what you believe, His banner over us is love, unity first, doctrine second, let's get together, let's hold hands uh, with uh, uh, every kind of religion and every kind of people, just as long as they speak in tongues or talk about the Holy Ghost, and we need to understand that that fellowship is contrary to the Word of God. Our fellowship is not based on love, it's based on the Bible first. Sister... Okay, salvation, let's just go back now to the, the brazen altar just for a description. Salvation comes uh, for that Israelite at the moment that he uh, identifies publicly with that sacrifice and places his confidence in the Word of God that says, this is uh, all you need to do to be saved. Our salvation we experience that the moment that you and I put our faith in Jesus and the work that He did on the cross as the only thing we need to do to be saved. Once we place our faith in the sacrifice of the cross, you and I, we, re we repent, put our faith in that, we're born again. Now, the life of faith uh, and the life living for God uh, after that point is a process where as we continue to believe, we continue to place our faith in the Son of God, His sacrifice and His sacrifice alone. As long as we do that, then we're saved. And as long as we do that, we're in danger of losing out on our salvation. And when that point is crossed, I can't tell you when they cross over, I can just tell you when they have. I don't, you know, I can't, you know, draw a line down somebody's spiritual uh, time chart and say it was right then that they lost their salvation. I, I don't think any man can say that. Yes. Yes, and our and our fulfilling and our. Oh, fulfilling the will of God for our lives. Okay? Uh, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> um, all I, you know, here's, you know, the, these, are, uh, these are strange things and, uh, as our minds try and comprehend uh, what God is doing. Here's God. He's presenting to us His will. In the Word of God, all right? Uh, as we obey the Word of God, God changes our lives. God is cleansing. Uh, uh, God's renewing our lives. Now, uh, well, let's, let's take, for example, smoking. Okay, just let's use this as an example. Because uh, this doesn't relate to anybody in here this morning. And, 
Okay, so you run out of the building as fast as you can. Uh, you've been praising God, worshiping God, uh, and uh, as your wife starts up the car and drives down the road, uh, you're sucking on two Marlboros at one time because your uh, your nicotine level has, has dropped to the danger point. Okay, now uh, you're uh, because because you did that. Does that mean uh, you're not saved? Well, I don't know. As uh, cigarettes is going to uh, send you to hell. However, I believe that as long as you persist in that, and as long as God deals with you and deals with you about that, there's going to be a point, not that you earn your salvation by quitting smoking, but there's going to be a point where you're going to have to make a decision about turning away from God to keep smoking. And I've never seen a smoker make it. Never seen one. Not one. Why? Because cigarettes send you to hell? No, because there'll be a place because you will not give that up where you will turn away from God. And so this uh, smoking is an example. Here's the example that goes across the board. Here's the, here's the Word of God. Here's uh, worship and witness and assembling and all the things that God has to do. Will you, uh, will you uh, go to hell if you, uh, if you miss church tonight? Well, I believe that there is a place where if you continue to refuse to assemble and continue to refuse to assemble, uh, there will come a crisis where if you're going to refuse to assemble any longer... It's going to require that you remove your faith from the Son of God. So this is the process. It's before us. It's available to us. We need to pursue it and we need to go after it. And those things that we refuse to do in our initial experience, they may not cost us our salvation. But I believe that there will come a day when you'll sit at that altar, there'll be a, in your pew, there'll be another call for a life consecrated to God when you're going to make a decision and say no for the last time. And so that's how it works out, I, I think. Uh, Jim Merck. Yes. It says run with endurance the brace that is set before you uh, and laying aside every weight and the sin does, does so easily be sent. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Not that I have attained or have already become perfect, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining, reaching for what lies ahead, I press on. Okay, good. Dennis? Uh, these, these scriptures on... Uh, on cleansing washed uh, by the water of the word uh, from Ephesians. Uh, how shall a young man cleanse his way? Uh, because we're talking about cleansing by giving heed according to thy word. So we're we're drawing a, a relationship between uh, the cleansing that we see as part of the ministry of the word of God and this cleansing that is on the other side of the altar. Good question. Mike Solano. 
Yes. Yeah. When uh, this is a, a holiness doctrine, Wesleyan doctrine, this experience that sanctification is something that you pow just happen like that until it happens. See, this is this is how it lives. You know, however it sounds in theology, this is what happens. Well, just keep smoking, and when pow, when it hits me, I'll just lay him down. Well. Uh, this is the thing. This is a process of, of life, not uh, just this thing. It, it was like uh, getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's what they, uh, you know, that you just, at one time you're just going to come up and they're going to lay hands on you and pow, you're going to be sanctified never to sin again. Amen. But until it happens, man, what can you do? Bill? Well, uh, what are... Uh, uh, baptism in itself, I don't believe, is a, is a cleansing. Uh, only in the sense of what we're talking about when we obey the Word of God that says that we should be baptized. Our obedience to God's Word initiates a work of change in our lives. Every time we obey the Bible, I believe there's a work that's done in our hearts, a change. And so this happened, not, not the water, but the obedience of doing that uh, that, uh, that uh, is uh, uh, explained here. Good. Okay, so we don't need to uh, know every uh, Scripture in the world and we don't need to ever know every uh, answer to every problem, every question to begin to witness. The moment that we uh, rise up from the altar, we, uh, are, uh, we have a valid witness. As our brother said, the moment that he experienced salvation, he received the credentials to be a witness for Jesus Christ. We need to see in the process of our being witnesses for Jesus that that needs to go according to the Word of God. Our generation is suffering, as we said before, by an easy believism that does not line up their witness to the world with how, what the Word of God declares. It's not repent and believe the gospel. That's what the Word of God says. It's accept Christ. It's, uh, I'll be your friend for 20 years. We'll go fishing together. We'll go hunting together. We'll do all these things. And uh, when I, you finally trust me and you finally ask me what's different about me, uh, then I'll finally tell you uh, what that has to do. Well, that's not uh, the Word of God. But that's happening everywhere. The same with our worship. Here's worship. Uh, you don't need to know all the Scriptures in the world. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to lift your hands and worship God and speak in tongues. Uh, but we need to understand that uh, as we go through our lives uh, living for God in worship, then our worship needs to line up with the Bible. It needs to line up uh, according to God's Word. The Bible says uh, lifting up holy hands. So uh, we need to do that. The Bible says that uh, when we praise God and speak in tongues, that that is comely or that is beautiful or that is honorable in 1 Corinthians 14. That means that we need to do that. doesn't matter what uh, uh, so-and-so on the other side of town thinks. doesn't matter if you don't like that or that embarrasses you that the Word of God... Uh, needs to be our guide on our worship as well. And so before these, uh, uh, in this uh, thing here, if these things are going to be experienced uh, in, the, in our lives, then they are going to have to line up with the Word of God and that uh, cleansing and that change that will happen in our lives will only be as we 
are obeying the Word of God. Just to go and genuflect and cross yourself and uh, uh, take a wafer. and uh, That may sound to you like worship, but that's not going to change you. That's not going to change you one iota. Why? Because it doesn't line up with the Word of God. Amen. We need to take just a couple of more questions or comments and then we'll go on. Brother Kaler? No, I think that if you're going to... Uh, 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 make that kind of reference, then uh, what we have is in the altar, we have uh, the uh, cleansing of the, of the guilt, but in the labor, we have the uh, cleansing uh, that has to do with the uh, what sin has done to our lives, okay? Because of uh, my, because of sin, my uh, personality has been warped. My understanding of God has been warped. My lifestyle and all this has been warped. And so the labor is a cleansing of the effects, I believe, of sin. This is the guilt of sin, and. The labor is for the effects of sin. Good question. Uh, Brother Tossing. Yeah, um, I would say that uh, more of a thing of going back, and not everybody would agree with this that I've read about, but I think that it's going back to the cross or going back to the to the altar. When we've committed sin, the Bible says, uh, as we walk in the light as He is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I don't think the last time we need the blood was when we get saved. But I think that the labor is that cleansing and changing that uh, touches our very sin nature, our very motive uh, that helps us to keep from doing the things that we were doing. If we commit them, then I think we need the blood again. Now, not everybody would agree with me, and I'm have a feeling that those folks that say that are eternal security folks. I wouldn't say that for sure, but I think that's the problem. I'm sorry. We've got to dismiss. Next week.